So welcome to Eastgate. This evening's a little bit different. Um, we're, we're trying out uh, something tonight called Soul Chat. It's a new, new initiative here. Just to really, um, what we'll be doing during the evening is interviewing three people uh, that are part of what goes on here at Eastgate, just to hear about what it's like to, to be a Christian, to what it's like to follow Jesus, and just hear about the things that God does in someone's lives um, when they start following him. That's, that's the plan. Um, and we're going to see how it goes. So Fiona's going to introduce our three guests. So just to extend a warm welcome, a very warm welcome, in fact. <laughs> well done for all turning out this evening. So uh, we have Hugh Jackman, Cameron Diaz, and Ed Sheeran on our B list. <laughs> yeah, we kept a table for them if they want to turn up, but we'll see. So we have... The lovely Michael Hawkins. The even more lovely Nicole Cricket McGinn. And the amazing Chris Spring. So, Michael, tell us about Essel and why you decided to go on it. So, how did I get started with it? I guess I got started with it that uh, in my local church, um, my home church, there was... um, just a small notice about the uh, healing school that Joaquin did in October. Um, must have been five years ago now. And I sort of looked at that and went, oh, healing school, I'd like to know more about that. That sounds crazy. That sounds, yeah, kind of good. And so we went along to that and were just absolutely blown away. Uh, my wife and my wife and I. And it was just phenomenal. Like, oh, okay, this is not the usual church stuff that I'm used to. This is a bit out there and a bit wacky. Uh, But we loved it. And so we went to go along uh, again on the Sunday morning. And um, uh, they talked about the the, um, evening school, um, which is every other Wednesday. And we went to David Webster and begged him to let us on because it was kind of late and it had already started. And so we did that uh, for a season. And kind of prior to that, uh, I now look back and realize that God had been calling me out of my work, had been kind of making that a bit uncomfortable. Somebody said that uh, he makes the, the, the nest prickly. And it was like, oh, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure I'm enjoying this. And through that year, I was really like, no, this is, this is, I do not need to be here at work anymore. I need to get out of this. I just need to get away from this. Um, and, yeah, the, I was, had been looking for probably for five years for something else to do. Um, I'd applied for a few jobs and nothing was better than what I was doing at work and then this I so enjoyed the evening school or was so challenged by the evening school that when the day school option came up I was like okay I'm going to go and do that go and see what that's all about so yeah I quit my job and went to day school so when you you went to day school Mm. was there anything you were looking for God to do or did you have any expectation before before it started no I was just hoping to make it through the first couple of days Honestly, only just actually. Only just. It absolutely freaked me out. I was so scared. I was so worried about it. Because I just, you know, this wasn't kind of church as I knew it. You know, I kind of had an Anglican church upbringing, which is very, you know, wooden pews, stone walls. Um, We don't, we certainly don't laugh and dance and enjoy ourselves. And, you know, yeah. And this was completely different. So I was just. Yeah, very scared by it. (laughs) 
So in the DVD, you make reference to yeah. little Michael yeah. and uh, the older Michael and being the person, yeah. becoming a person that you didn't really like. Sure. Can you unpack that up for us a bit? Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess I, I refer to little Michael. I think of myself kind of before the point I went to school. So I'm sort of, you know, four or five, whatever age that is. And, you know, I was probably a little bit arrogant and probably a little bit cocky, but in a good way. I kind of knew who I was yeah. and I liked who I was and, yeah, this is me and, and I'm cool. And, <laughs> I yeah, I'm, I'm I like me. Yeah, I like me. And kind of that process of going to school kind of completely eroded that confidence, eroded that self-like and, yeah, I was kind of came out of school going, well, that was horrible. I don't like any of this. And I don't like, you know, nobody likes me and blah, 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 all those kind of unhelpful self-talk things. And, yeah, I was, I really didn't like that. And when I left school, I then, okay, I need to do something about this, I guess is what I was thinking, and kind of started to forge my own image. Um, and because I, I enjoyed my cycling, as you might have noticed on the video, um, I yeah, would go out riding my bike and um, that's, yeah, that's what I enjoyed, so that's what I would do and that's kind of what I became in the sense that I worked in the bike industry, I worked um, yeah, six, seven days a week in one format or another with bicycles, I'd, I'd race them at weekends, travel all over the country doing that. I'd, I'd work on them in the week um, in, in a shop or um, mechanicing on them. and um, Yeah, and kind of, so I kind of forged an image of myself within the industry um, that was kind of, yeah, this is who I am. But um, it, I knew at the time that it felt very hollow and wasn't actually who I was kind of thing. So, yeah. Then what changed? Then what changed? Well, what happened next? That went on for a long time, <laughs> actually. That was uh, probably up until I was, yeah, 38. I kind of worked in the, in the bike industry for, yeah, 18 years in, as a journalist, writing about bicycles. And it, and it was, like, literally the best job I could think of. And, you know, it was a phenomenal job. Um, and, but I still disliked who I was and I still disliked elements of the work um, but I got to the point where there was no further advancement for me within that I was um, the top person in my field sounds funny talking about it uh, and working for the top magazine in the world so you know I would be taken away one week of, of every month flown across the world to go and ride a bicycle um, and then tell my friends about it in effect, which is how I viewed it you know, I'm like, okay, there's 30,000 people who buy that magazine I write across four magazines um, I can pick and choose which jobs I do because I've got a team of four people working for me, so oh, you want me to go on EasyJet to Italy for a day <laughs> No, I don't think that was for me, guys. You can keep that. Oh, you want me to go to Australia for a week? Yeah, okay, yeah, I'll do that one. Yeah. It was, was, was honestly how the work was, how my, how my life was. And, and yet, it was, it was, I knew it was hollow and it was empty and I didn't like who I was. Could you, if, if you're up for it, that is, is, could you share a little bit about what you didn't like about yourself? 
what I didn't like about myself. I guess you kind of, one thinks of oneself as being caring and loving and helpful. That's, I think that everybody kind of has that innately inside them. I think that's something that, that if you were, yeah, on your own and you had no outside influences that God has placed inside of you and that everybody uh, would expect to be. And yet, try as I might, the very best I could do was to maintain the place where I was, to, to just not get any worse, not get any more horrible to people, not, um, yeah, not be any nastier to my wife or, you know, yeah, whatever. Um, and that was a real, yeah, that was a real struggle to kind of, to maintain that. And any time I wasn't concentrating on that, I was becoming, yeah, just kind of more ugly inside. So what was the, the turning point? So the turning point was uh, a car cr- uh, uh, a crash on my bicycle with a van in the south of France. So we had done a five-hour shoot on the bikes, and we were racing back to get pizza, as you do. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I was like, yeah, okay, this is fantastic. I'm going to beat the guys. We had four of us out, had a car following us, um, and uh, came round a roundabout, and a van pulled out around in front. It was one of the, um, you know, the Pompier uh, fire engine vans, uh, so it's like a big transit van kind of thing, and cut me off. And I was like, okay, fine. And as he exited the roundabout, I got in behind him, got in the slip stream behind him. And I was like, yep, got you nailed losers. I'm going to beat you to the pizza. And so I'm getting the draft behind this van, and we're doing about 35 mile an hour. I'm down the bottom of the block in the gears, you know, maximum attack, and he's still pulling away from me. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I've got probably three, 400 meters on the guys at this point. I've, I've got it made. They're never going to catch me. And, um, yeah, so sort of drifted back from the van, at which point he decided to slow down. And I remember seeing distinctly, and still see it in my mind's eye, the back of the van sort of jacking up as he, as he braked, because somebody decided to step across a pedestrian crossing in front of him. And then I saw, and I thought, okay, that's fine, I can stop. And then I saw the back of the, ja- the van jack up again, and he was really emergency braking. And I thought, yeah, I'm not going to stop for this. And so I literally had it had the bike on the front wheel only, trying to stop before this van. He had one of those safety steps across the back. I hit that with the front wheel, and it catapulted me headfirst into the back doors of the van. Sort of Superman, but without the arms. And, um, yeah, and, of course, that meant that uh, I kind of compressed in the middle. And I literally compression fractured T9 and T10 in the middle of my back, um, at that point, I didn't know that. I was just kind of on the floor, winded. And I was like, no, no, take me to, take me to the um, uh, hotel. I'll be all right. I'm just winded. I'm just winded. I'm just winded. Got to the hotel. No, I'm not right. Take me to the hospital. How did you get to the hotel? Just, just in you the just back of the car. You just stood up and got no, in the car? No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. It's wow. not particular. So I sat in the back of the van. So, how, so that would make me grumpy if that happened to me. Okay. <laughs> Amongst the other just things. Just grumpy. So, so, so. <laughs> So how did that, how, how was that a turning point then in terms of the change in you? Because obviously that's a major... Yeah, it was a major right thing. There. It was, it's 
two things. So I was lying in hospital an inch shorter than I was, and um, I didn't at any point feel scared or fearful for the future. Hang on, you used to be taller. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I had no concerns about it. Even at the point where they said, you've broken your back, and to me that meant you've severed your spinal cord and you're not going to be able to walk again. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Um, I feel like I can still move my feet, but I couldn't sit up, of course, to, to look at them and see them moving. So I was like, maybe that's a kind of residual thing. My brain's telling my feet to move, so I'm expecting them to move. And you know, I eventually found out, no, they do still work. It's not, not actually... Um, yeah, it's just a it's just a compression fracture. It's, it's the bones are broken and shorter, not that the uh, the nerves are damaged. Um, but I I didn't ever feel worried about it. I was like, okay, that's fine. We can deal with this. Just move on. So I just felt that thing that people talk about of of peace beyond understanding. I was just like, yeah, I just I do feel peaceful. I feel yeah, fine about this. It's going to work out. It's going to be fine. I don't know why I thought that. Um, but that gave me some time off the bike, gave me some time off work, and that was the whole kind of time in which I think kind of I went, hey, I need to really do something about my life. It gave me the time to think about my life. It gave me, it meant that with various other things that probably aren't worth going into, but it kind of made me realise I couldn't live, carry on living how I had been and I needed to do something about that. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's kind of at the point I went, okay, I don't like who I am. I don't like what's going on. I think I need to go back to church and go back to God and see what that's about. And, that and was did you? Kind of, so, yeah, oddly enough. And then what happened? And then what happened? I just kind of, it was a very slow and gradual thing for me, and I guess it's still still building. But, yeah, I would... I was still a kind of irregular churchgoer, um, you know, probably once or twice every six months or something, um, and would just, yeah, go along, didn't really engage, didn't really get it, um, and, yeah, you distracted me by talking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No. Just trying to think of a really difficult question. I wonder what they're thinking. I'm just trying to think of a really difficult question. That's <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what would be a difficult question. Right? Um, where was I? Irregular church, church goer. goer. And so I started going more often. Um, so you became more regular, Michael. I became more regular, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I can so resist. Sorry. No, no. I'll put you out if you're not good. Um, yeah, and just started engaging with, with church and with God. We moved house shortly after that and we tried all the local churches um, and Lindsay walked into into one and God said to her this is the church you're going to go to and I was like it seemed like a normal church to me seems a little bit out there but okay and kind of but she was just so adamant she'd heard God and and God's presence is without a doubt in that church and so I was like okay I need to start engaging with this I need to figure out what this means for me and so I would go more regularly and start to get more involved with them. And um, actually just, for me, the biggest thing was just engaging with uh, the other people at church. Because that, as a youngster, 
I didn't like people at church and kind of held them all back. So you, you talked about feeling God's presence. What does, what does that feel like for you? What does that feel like for me? It, in part, it's that peace thing. Yeah, that's quite a big, a big thing for me. Um, and just feeling comfortable and accepted with no reason. Do you know what I mean? That, you know, when you walk in back into your family home, at least for me, maybe it's not for everybody, I would feel quite comfortable and accepted. You kind of, you're in amongst people who love you and know you and, yeah, you can, you know, put your feet up on the chair if that's, if that's what you choose to do and, you know, you go to the fridge and you get out whatever you want and, you know, it's just, it's just that comfortable feeling. It's that sort of, yeah, known and accepted feeling that, that I would say, yeah, is part of what I experience with God. So, pretty much this is your last question. So, you, I think you were at school for three years. Yes. Two, two or three, three. Yes. So, what, what's changed in you over those three years? What, what would be the sort of everything. the highlights? Everything. Every, everything can has changed. Can you narrow that down to a few things? So, you, you said in the DVD, I needed to be broken down. Yeah. And then you said, I've now got all the tools that I need. What, what are those tools? What are the sort of oh, things that's tools. tooled you with? There's a lot of tools school teaches you about. But it's really, I guess, um, the major thing for me was not trying to do it all myself. I'm relatively capable as a person, and so I would tend to do stuff myself. If I wanted something done, I would do it for myself. And, and actually, uh, I could probably go further than that. I would say that I'd already recognized that I was a powerful person that I could influence things, that I could make things happen. And so I would do that for myself all through my working career. And that just, it just makes me cringe. I think of those poor guys I worked with and just think, oh, I was horrible, sorry. Um, whereas now, I don't, I don't chase that down for myself. I'm like, okay, I'll just let that be. What, I'm, I'm, I've got enough to manage of my own uh, stuff. I'll, I can just let that be. Don't need to carry on trying to make that happen. And, um, yeah, that's the biggest thing, I, I guess I would say. Um, yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Should we, should we bring Nicole in? Sure. So when, when we were talking about this yesterday, about what we'd talk about, uh, questions we might ask you, you mentioned that you, you became a Christian at five, if I remember that right. Could you tell us a little bit about how that happened? Um, yeah. Okay, so, yes, I became a Christian, I was introduced to Jesus at the age of five. I met him and instantly fell in love with him. Um, it was a Sunday school teacher who told us about Jesus, um, and it was a real experience for me. And um, I said yes with my whole heart, um, and I enjoyed a wonderful relationship with him. It was a very real relationship with him. Um, and uh, uh, I, w- I lived in a, I came from a really good Christian um, family. And I think you get to a point where you also have to realize that you need to make, uh, while Jesus was my God, I did come under the umbrella of um, my family in a way, and I had to make him my own. Um, uh, and so when I was at university, I think I lived under a huge banner of grace, and uh, um, I was in a relationship with uh, a young man who was not a Christian, 
And uh, I can remember going to church. Uh, our, our, the church I was at um, was in between buildings, and so it was on a tent in a tent um, on a golf course. And I went to church, and I suppose I just went to church because he was playing golf, so I thought I'd go to church, if the truth be known. Um, and so he was playing golf on the, 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 the land that the tent was on. Is that, is that normal in South Africa, though? Uh, the tents and no, golf courses to be No, together. no, no, no. But it was a radical, amazing church, um, <laughs> so it was normal for this church, but no, not really for others, no. Um, yeah, so I, it was an amazing church. I was exposed to the Holy Spirit from small. Um, it was, yeah, it was really, really a, a beautiful on-fire church. Um, and I went there and felt the presence like you, I always did and knew God. And I knew what I was doing was wrong. Um, and so I said to God, I, I acknowledged that I was doing wrong. Um, but I, I made a mistake because I said, I'm choosing the boyfriend. So you, um, show, you choose the boyfriend yeah, over God, yeah? Over the great I am. And I said... <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's what I did. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> by the grace of God and the goodness of God, um, honestly, I say this with... with Oh, such a love in my heart for him is that I went back home. I said to God, I'm being a hypocrite. I'm not, I know what I'm doing is wrong. I choose the boyfriend. Goodbye. I'm never coming back here again. And I went back to uh, meet up with him and he was as white as a ghost and said to me, I don't know why I'm doing this. I love you, but I can't be with you anymore. We're breaking up. Goodbye. And I looked at him and said to him, I've just chosen you over the great I am. Could you pull it together, please? (laughs) And he said to me, no. And so that was that. And uh, he, uh, yeah, I learned that. I learned what, I learned a hard lesson. You know, God said, I felt God saying to me, I'm sorry, did you think you chose me? I chose you with an everlasting love, and I am jealous, and I will share you with no one. So thank you for being bold and making a choice. We're going to sort that out. (laughs) And I learned, I learned what that meant to be loved by Jesus. I learned what it meant that he was, he was jealous for me and he would share me with no one. I learned what it meant to be loved. And I learned what the world, how the world loved and that it would, you know, almost throw you to the side in an instant when it got hard. Um, but Jesus wasn't going to do that. And so I, um, kicking and screaming, I, I, um, I grew closer to him and I surrendered to him and I, I fell deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. And, um, it's interesting, God knows, doesn't he? He knows your story, and I'm forever grateful that that's how he sealed me with his love, and, and so I am forever Jesus, um, Jesus. I'm never, I will never um, depart from him because he's shown me unconditional love and he's shown me what it is, how it feels to be loved. So you, so you mentioned the word surrender to Jesus, which is quite a Christian 
phrase. What, what does that mean for you? What, could you um, unpack that a bit, maybe? I think, um, so surrendering to Jesus is just my favorite thing in the whole world. Um, I think it's, it's going on an adventure with him. It's, uh, being in a relationship with him. It's, um, and so when it means being in a partnership and in a relationship is that he's allowed to say things to me, um, and I, 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 I can listen. Um, and then I always know that his ways are better than, than mine. And I trust him completely um, because he has been faithful. And uh, he has been extravagant in my life. And so sometimes when those things that he says to me sound uncomfortable or I'm not too sure whether that's you know, the plan I want for my life, I ultimately trust him more than my plan. I ultimately am more in love with him than my plan. And so I, I lean into him. I think I, I want to be known as somebody who's a good leaner, who can lean on Jesus because he is faithful and he's steadfast and he doesn't move and I think that's the one thing I love about him although I've tried to move him sometimes and make him do my way um, I love that he that he's steadfast and I can lean on to lean into him um, because there's always good things that come from that there there's there's good um, truths there's good um, lessons there's gifts there's love there's joy, there's peace, there's adventure. Um, he holds my hand and he takes me to places that I would have never dreamed of going. Um, and it's always good. It's always good. So that's for me with surrender. So, Nicole, I know that one of your passions is talking about family and love and what that looks like. So how did that work out in your life? Okay, family um, and love. Uh, yeah, I think it worked out well. It worked out really well for me. Um, I, um, yeah, I, I, I am passionate about. Um, I think, and I think it's 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 a weird word to say because I know when we. We did school, we had to discover what our passions were. And, and I think that is, for me, is, is love. Um, and I think it comes from my, my testimony and, and from the way Jesus loved me, um, is that I want everybody to feel loved. Um, I want them to know that unstoppable, always and forever, and, you know, never-ending love that Jesus can, um, can give them. And so, yeah, for me... Um, I wanted, I wanted a, you know, a partnership with that and I, and I love his covenant of marriage and I met a wonderful man who, um, we had the same, um, uh, passions and outlook, um, on life. Um, I even remember, uh, you know, our first date was, I don't know why, where we spoke about how many children we wanted and we both said five and so we thought, well, yep. The right that's, number. that's the one. <laughs> what can and, I say? And we both also we both also thought, you know, that that adoption would be would be part of that way. And so um, we, we we explored that, 
Um, and because of that, I am a mother to two beautiful children. Um, there they are. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and so, and then, um, uh, I, I still was, we, we were still going for, um, having, um, our own children biologically, um, and, and, um, Thomas, uh, struggled with, uh, infertility and we were praying for that, um, and then, uh, when, when he died, um, I felt like that was, that was quite a, that was quite a difficult thing to, um, kind of process because I almost, I almost likened it to like almost dropping on a ladder. You know, you're married and so you're going for a miracle to have a baby together and, and to do it that way. Um, and then when he dies, you realize, well, there's a different prayer because now that baby and all that dream is then just kind of wiped away. Um, uh, but it's just amazing how God is faithful and he loves your dream and he loves who you are. And, um, and there was, that was another thing of me surrendering to what that plan continued to look like. Um, and yeah, so just been really fortunate enough to, and I, to, um, find love again and to be, to, to remarry. Um, and yeah, I just, I just think, there again, you know, God and His faithfulness is just really amazing because, um, yeah, He's, I, I don't see it as lost. I see it now as though He's allowed me to have two great loves of my life. Thomas will always be the love of my life. Um, and Guy is now the love of my life, which so I get double scoop in a way, you know, I got two loves of my life, which is just amazing. And it's just holding that intention with that mystery, isn't it? And just being comfortable. I think that's surrender again. And I know when I speak, it just doesn't sound, it doesn't sound normal. Um, so in that, in that time after Thomas's death, yeah. how did you connect with God? Because that must have been devastating at the time. What, how did that what yeah, was that process like? Yeah, it was. It was, it was devastating. Um, I ran to him. I um, I could only say one thing, and that was rescue me. I, I couldn't. I didn't have any fancy prayers. Um, I just asked him to rescue me, um, and I walked. I walked just daily with him. In, in allowing him to rescue me, it um, it once again was one of those moments. It is about with a man again, but there we go. Um, yeah, so it was just with. I think I where the rubber hit the road again. I was I just thought, well, God, it has to be true. These these scriptures have to they have to be real and true, or they're not. Um, and because I remember he whispered into my into my heart that he had a plan and a hope for me and it was a good one and I I got really cross with him about that. I, I didn't like that. I thought, you know, I really like my plan and I really like my future. I had a really wonderful marriage. I was very much in love. I had two wonderful children um, and, I, and I was quite offended by that scripture. I was quite offended by the way he, what he gave that to me and I, 
I really, I, and I'm not, I'm not proud of, of the way I spoke back to him. Um, I'm really grateful that I don't intimidate him. Um, <laughs> hey, you turned it, you turned down the great down for a boyfriend once, you know, he's, he's, he's gracious enough to come back for you. <laughs> so, so, so I'm really, I'm really grateful that he, he loves me and puts up with me. Um, cause I did, I, I actually, I just said to him, oh, you know, I really, you know, I said to him, well, I couldn't see him doing it any better. And I said to him, oh, well, just, you know, give it your best shot. I really, because I was, you know, and I, I know the goodness of God. I felt him rub his hands together and say, watch me go. Awesome. Awesome. And he did just that. He, he showed off in my life. Um, and I was always aware, and I am forever aware, that I could close my hand and cut that off in an instant and say, I don't want you in my life. And no, thank you. Um, and that's for me the surrendering. I have to always allow him to love me. And sometimes that's not the way I wanted it to look like. Um, yeah, but like I said, I love him more than my plan. I love him more than what I want. Um, and so, yeah, I, I held on to his hand and I allowed him to love me. Um, and I think that's, that's the, the one thing is that I've taken from that is that, you know, he's worth being brave enough to trust him, um, to show off in your life because that's exactly what he's done. You have a and a confidence in God's goodness, probably more than a lot, a lot of people that I know. You won't be the only one. Well, where, where does that come from? How's that developed in your life? Is that always there, or has that just grown through your, your journey with him? I know that wasn't on the question sheet. <laughs> no, that's a good question. It's a good question. I think I, think I have always um, known about the goodness of God. Um, but I think, and that's part of um, uh, where he turns the good, uh, the bad, you know, the um, the mourning for joy and the you know the ashes, and he gives you beauty. Is is I've always known about the goodness of God, but I don't think I lived an intentional life looking for the goodness of God. Um, and I think. Uh, I think I think I, I can remember a moment. Um, so when Thomas died, I went and along with um, a whole lot of people um, to to go and pray. Um, and, and I spent a week just praying, and then visiting, you know, the morgue and going back to the places and praying and asking Jesus to um, raise him from the dead. And um, I walked out of out of the morgue, and I had a friend who hadn't come in with me. And she looked at me and she said to me, um, well, who says it's over? And I knew that what she meant was that I could always go back. But in my heart, I heard, um, who says that it's over? And, and with that, I felt, I, I, I heard, uh, and I realized that God gave, there was a moment in my life where I could, um, pursue this, um, because I was going for victory, 
And just because he had gone to be, you know, gone to heaven, um, didn't mean that it was over. I could still go for victory. Um, and so there was something that he put inside me of an expectation of looking for the goodness of God and expecting the goodness of God. Um, and I would say over and over the scripture that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living and it's, and that I'm going for victory and, um, it's over when Jesus says it's over. Uh, you know, he's going, uh, he's going to give me victory, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to expect that. And I think that's where the, the whole understanding of the goodness of God, I think, is when you provide a platform for Him to show off, when you provide a, pr- a platform of Him to be faithful in your life, then He is. Um, and how I think I did with that was then, you know, the opposite. I think, um, I remember being, uh, in church and, and Pete was speaking and he, it just, I think he did a throwout comment of um, not allowing um, the enemy any landing space in your life. And that was key for me, that I had been robbed and stolen and, you know, tried to be destroyed. Uh, enough was enough for me. Um, and I wasn't going to allow the enemy to rob me anymore. And I wasn't going to let any lies in my life. And I was intentionally going to look for the goodness of God. I was going and I was having, going to have an expectation that he was going to be um, faithful and he was going to look after me and he whispered constantly in my ear that he was going to and I was going to choose to believe that. And I had that moment in my life where I could believe that or I could, and I think I could have been justified to say I was, that's, you know, too much, too much. Um, I don't want this, you know, this is, this is just, you know, you, you just didn't answer my prayer. You didn't give me what I wanted. I think, you know, uh, you know, it's too much. Um, but then that's where I thought, I think, you know, he's, he's just amazing because he's for us and he was for me and he was, he was talking to me constantly. He knew what the enemy was going to say to me and he gave me a key to say, who says it's over? And um, you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And don't allow any, any landing, you know, any landing area for the lies to come and land. Um, so you, you mentioned lies. Can you give us an example of what that, what kind of lie you're, you're thinking about or describing? Yeah. So, well, for me, there were a lot of questions that were coming at me. Um, you know, why? Why did? Why did he die? Um, why didn't Jesus? Uh, raise him from the dead. Why didn't this happen? Why, why, why? And again, I just, I just, I just, I just remembered Sunday school stories. Um, and I, I, I was reminded that, um, you know, the serpent in the garden was asking a lot of questions. And so I realized I had to, rem- I had to, I had to, I had to, I had to identify who was asking me the questions because, and where was it going to lead me? Was it going to lead me down into, you know, into a pit or was it going to make me feel victorious and loved and cared for? And I had to then, that's where I learned to silence those, those questions that came and were bombarding me. Um, and I, and because I lost the luxury of, um, 
you know, just entertaining those, those subtle lies. I really did. I, I, I felt as though I was, you know, fighting for my life. I had two small children. I was living in a, in a country where, um, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't from here. I was, you know, and so I, I had to, you know, I had to get vigilant and, and, and really identify what those lies were. And so then, yeah. So pretty much, this is your last question. You've done amazingly well. If there's anyone, you know, in the audience here or on the podcast that has suffered some loss and is struggling, what, what advice would you give them? Um, I think the advice I would give them would be to be gentle on themselves, um, to be kind to themselves, and to allow themselves to feel. Um, and to put themselves around really strong people who can walk beside them, who can hold up their hands when, they, when they're feeling weak, because they are going to feel weak. Um, I certainly didn't do this on my own. I had um, wonderful people who are in the audience today and many more who um, walked with me and held my arms up and when I felt like I couldn't they said I could um, and yeah so and to and to lean into into Jesus um, and to allow him to love you um, back together back to, you know because just quickly, I think for me, my saving grace was that I believe and I know that Jesus does not um, bring sickness. And he does not, um, you know, he, he, that's, that's not from Jesus. And so that's from, that's from the devil. Um, and so I don't believe that uh, Jesus took my husband, which was allowed me to run into his arms. Um, because I wasn't angry with him. I, I could run into his arms and let him fix me um, and, and make me better again. Um, and yes, he could have intervened. Um, and I know all those, those, and I live in that mystery. But because I wasn't angry with him for taking my husband, I was able to run to him. And so I think I would tell somebody to find um, good theology, good people, um, and lean and into, into the arms and the loving arms of Jesus. And you will be okay. Thank you for being so open and honest and real. It's yeah, very you, powerful. So. Let's bring Chris in. Yeah, just beforehand, I, just two memories I have of you guys. When I was, because we all did uh, ESSL together, um, and one, I, I did a, a trip away to a church about February time. Because we started in September, uh, and we did a trip away, and we were about to pray over a bunch of people and prophesy, basically uh, ask God for sort of words to encourage that person about their future. And that was the first time that I'd seen anything other than this incredible worship warrior who just was so inspiring. Just, just showing your heart. And I remember you saying, it's the, the, um, 
the moment where I'm about to breathe hope into other people, um, and it just felt like such a selfless moment. Um, and it was the first time I'd found out about Thomas. And in all of that time, that you had, you had, you'd carried yourself with that dignity, because it was only, what, July beforehand. And at that moment, you know, I, I had uh, an estimation, sort of opinion of you that was that high, and it just went, oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, it was incredible. And with you, it's a, it's, a, it's a different story entirely, which is, you talk about starting <laughs> off and being terrified at the beginning of your, of your uh, school year. And I remember, November, I remember it specifically, um, I remember seeing you in the worship times, which are glorious and very free, running across the room playing it with someone. <laughs> I'm thinking, Michael's feeling pretty free. <laughs> he, didn't, he, didn't, oh, was, he didn't share that earlier with us. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so you loosened up, dude. I don't remember it. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't say that that was the most free I'd been here. So I can imagine you doing it. Was it. an example of your freedom. You're enjoying the freedom. Yeah, that's good. Thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> You're welcome anytime. Now, more about you. <laughs> so, Chris. Yeah. You don't have to know you for very long without realising that music is a major part of your life, one of your passions. So, could you tell us a bit about how your music journey started? Ah, okay. Well, my mum would tell, tell me that I was singing nursery rhymes uh, in my pram, and some person came up to her and just said, Excuse me, could you tell me what the name of your son is? Because... I think he's going to be famous when he's older. <laughs> apparently, in the Isle of Wight, I, I, I don't remember, but uh, that, yeah, something like that. Um, I, I was I was encouraged to take piano lessons and all that kind of stuff. And I, well, much as we're talking about with your son, just uh, discovering that I had a lot more fun when I was making up tunes. And um, occasionally doing practice, don't I? So I, I progress, um, but I, I always got, got an opportunity at my my my, my con- the concerts to do one of my own songs, and that was that was always fun. Um, I even had my own little mic that I made, which was you, you know the Madonna mic. In fact, you're wearing the Madonna mic. Oh, I thought you were going to say hairbrush in front of the mirror moment. Oh, there. I see. Like yeah, a... no, not. <laughs> but I. I managed to fashion it. We call that a Madonna mic, okay? Or a Britney mic, I think they're sometimes called. Um, I made one out of a coat. Does that make me Madonna and feel like Britney? <laughs> you decide that one. Uh, but yeah, I made one out of a coat hanger, so I'd sit the piano with this sort of thing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, um, what was the question again? <laughs> Tell us more about the coat yeah, hanger. Yeah, no. it's all about the coat hangers, yeah. So, um, I won't get the number right, but you've written three or four, is it three or four albums? Or you, you produce three or four albums, written a number of songs, something like that. So, yeah. Whenever, whenever I watch you play, you don't, you don't seem to be under pressure. You seem to be really enjoying it, really. I know you've got a high standard that you set yourself in, in a healthy way. Um, is that, has it always been that way? You, you just, that's my perception anyway, that you just thoroughly enjoy playing, singing, worshipping. 
I, I think when I, when I can get to a place where I am worshipping, that's when I don't care anymore. That's what you're saying about surrender. And uh, that's just a, a glorious moment where, you, where you, you're not aware that you're leading anybody. You're just worshipping, just connecting with, 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 with God in a way that you, you don't really care about, the, the, if you like, the responsibility of, or the privilege of you know, being given a platform. You're just allowed to connect with Father, and I get to, to move where I want to go in that. Um, uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't say it's always been like that. So, um, I, I know that my journey as a, as a Christian has very much been that I've had this sort of, from a young age, a desire to sort of pursue music as a, as a career in whatever way I could. Um, and I, it's, it's very easy when you've got a passion like that to, I think, for it to overtake. Um, and uh, so I, I'm at those points, it's not that God's jumped in on me. It's almost like he's been waiting for me to just go, Father, I need you. I so need you. Um, at whatever level of maturity I was at at the time. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I, I had a, a period where I got RSI. I couldn't play for about two years. Uh, and I also split up with someone who I was about to be married to. So I was a pretty broken guy. Um, and I've been a Christian about ten years. Um, but... Um, I then went away to this conference, and uh, I, I kind of I, I was talking to God in the car, going, "You know that thing where I I go away for a bit um, to you know a conference or somewhere where I'm just hanging out with you, God, and focusing on you." And so, therefore, for a couple of weeks afterwards, I'm really going for you, and then I lose a little bit of my my my, my passion, my drive for it. I can't do that anymore. I have to. It's just, I, I mean, I mean business with you. This, this is it. I'm throwing it all in for you at that point. And, uh, this, 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 this woman, uh, came up to me. Unusually, she was a black lady, but called Snowy. <laughs> and, uh, she said, I've been watching you playing football. And, uh, which was true. I had been playing football. <laughs> Oh, that was supposed to be fun. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Right, won't put that one in anymore. I'm <laughs> giving testimony. <laughs> anyway, um, so anyway, she said, uh, you've just been through... No, uh... no, 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 no. I'm already letting too much of my uh, secrets out. <laughs> Mechanics. Anyway. So we saw you playing football. Someone, Continue. Yes, yes, we digress. Anyway, and she said, you've been in a, re- a relationship, and uh, God wants you to know that it was right that that relationship ended. And he pulled you out um, to, uh, he's, he's, he's leading you uh, to a place, he's taking you through a storm at the moment. Uh, he's, and he's, uh, he's maturing you to a place of leadership. Uh, and he's got someone else for you. Uh, and he said, she said also, you've been in a, a lot of physical pain. And uh, actually, that, God's going to heal that. Wow. So all the while, this is the first time I've really come across the God who speaks through other people. 
So I'm looking at everyone going, who have you spoken to? Who, you know, what have you told them? Sort of thing. And they're just going, okay. <laughs> um, and it, it completely rocked me. And for a long time, I asked the question, why would you do that? What was the point you were trying to, to make? Um, and I just, it just came back to, I just came to, back to the one thing. It's just like, I want you to now have hope in this time. I want you to know I've got a future for you. I just want you to know how much I love you. Um, I, I, and one other thing on, on that front, I, I, I remember going away for fairly, fairly soon after that and having a day just praying and fasting, just trying to do all the, all the stuff you do when you really want God to speak. So I, I kind of, uh, I'd been, I'd done all the worship stuff, I'd read my Bible, like I, I'd gone through all the, the stuff. And I was like, right, I've, I've run out of what I think you're supposed to do at this point. So, <laughs> uh, and uh, so, and I just thought, right, I'm going to stop this now, and I'm just going to be silent. And you, drum roll, you're going to speak, and you're going to tell me the job that I'm going to go into, right, God? Because that's really why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I waited and I waited, and then. He spoke to me and he just said, this is one thing. He said, have you any idea how much I love you? Wow. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I was disappointed. <laughs> because I wanted... <laughs> I wanted the, go and do this thing. I'm with you. But... The reason why I, I, I tell that story now is not just as an anecdote. It's because I look back year after year and I see how profound and how amazing it was that he would, he would silence everything. He wouldn't say anything else. He wanted it to be surrounded by absolutely nothing and that statement to be something that really founded me and him. Wow. Um, so, yeah. You know, I mean, isn't that a great thing when, when someone tells you, particularly the king of the universe, <laughs> have you any idea how much I love you? So, the, the and so, I haven't. <laughs> the, the songs that you write, the ones that touch me most, are often the songs about the love of God. Mm. And I've never heard that story before, so it doesn't surprise me. So, could you tell us a bit about how, what it's like for you to write songs? Because I know, was it, was it, it might have been last year or earlier this year, you went, is it went to Nashville, went to America? I did, yeah. Or maybe you put it up on Facebook. So what's the, you know, you're obviously not sitting down in your bedroom writing a song, you've obviously travelled somewhere, so maybe that's important. So can you tell us a bit more about the process you go through and how that, the love of God features maybe mm. in, in some of the songs you write? Well, I think, it, firstly, it varies very much from song to song. Sometimes I'll get a... <laughs> A, a musical idea that I'm then kind of feeling my way as to what's this about. And then I'll, sometimes I'll, I'll get a lyrical idea, and increasingly so. With worship songs, it's, it's actually a lot easier. I'm, I, I find melody comes a lot quicker to me than, than, um, than lyrics. And uh, sometimes just a song just falls out. Um, but I've also learned sometimes I just have to be very patient. And uh, I think we all have this desire when to, 
to be moved by a song because it's saying something that we kind of knew inside already, but we want to hear it in a fresh way. And it's those, if I might say, profound statements that what, are what, what make a song really inspiring. I think, particularly in an age where actually a lot of the musical stuff is, is actually being simplified, it allows uh, the, the message of the song to stand up um, in a, a more pronounced way. Because uh, there's, there's less to get in the way in terms of other sort of bits that one would call the song, the melody. Um, so, yeah, it, it, is, it, it does vary tremendously. But I would say the one thing that I want to do in any of my songs that I, I really value and I'm proud of is I want to move people the way I've been moved. Um, for me, a song... Is, is an opportunity to, to communicate something that that touches someone's heart, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the privilege of writing worship songs, is I'm able to be in a very open way, uh, unashamedly passionate about the, the person, the thing that I am most passionate about. So for years I wrote songs for the secular world. I had a, I had a, a secular production deal, um, and my, my big thing was one, wanting to write songs for the world that had a, a message of Jesus in it. Um, but the one thing that I did find quite frustrating was that thing of I, I had to be quite veiled. And sometimes that would make it less or more successful. Whereas when you're writing worship songs, I don't have to think about it at all. It's, I just, I can be, uh, the more open I can be in in a sense, the better. So um, we can wholeheartedly endorse both of Chris's amazing CDs. Um, So the first one, remind me, the name is? Finished. And the second one is Victory Kisses. And this evening, Chris is going to perform for us a song from his third album, which is his first solo album, after Mark (laughs) asks a question. (laughs) We've got time for another question for you. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry. It was actually, it's actually, the one I'm going to do is actually not from that album, anyway. Oh, okay. Got to think of my question now. Yeah. So, so obviously you'll understand um, that worship is all of our lives, not yeah. just when we sing. But what, what is it about when we, when we sing? How, why do you think that is, that that enables us to connect with God in, a, in, in maybe ways that other, doing other things in our lives doesn't? What, mm. I think, firstly, if, if anyone who writes a song is not a worshipper in their life, I, and I know there are points where I'm not connecting with God well, then I'm not going to inspire others. So I think you're right. It, it, even, even if, you know, my guess is any worship song we would sing here, I would hope that the people who have written them, they, they are packing in everything that is their life into that statement. Uh, that, that we get to enjoy and to connect God, with God through. So, sorry, what were you saying again? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like what you're saying. I was just asking, what, why, oh, yeah, yeah. why do you think worship, in terms of song worship, song. connects us with God in, in, in special ways? Gosh, I think there's a number of ways you can look at this. Firstly, I think there is something so powerful about singing together truth, even saying truth together, 
I know that when I speak out, and I, do you know what? I, there are times where, do you, have, do you ever get these points where you go, why didn't I do this before? This, and and you, you've been sort of trying to find ways to break through with your own heart and simply confessing truth and, and actually starting to sort of get your heart excited about it. Not just be, uh, it, it, it just works for me. Um, so I think that there's a truth element, but I also think there is something so profound and, and really I don't get it about music, which after all is a God invention, you know, just frequencies that, you know, I know that last week uh, I was leading worship and there was a point where I was trying to get me and the violinist Elaine to play just one note because I felt like there was something on the resonance of that note that I thought was um, really powerful. She was so into her playing, she couldn't see me going, whoa, play one <laughs> So we only got there for about a second. But anyway, I do think there's something about frequencies and all of that stuff that we just don't get. I mean, I've heard people say before that, um, you know, uh, there is, you know, there are healing frequencies. Um, and so... A very quick story is that, um, who knows, if, who's heard of the death march? Even if you don't know what it is. And I, I can't quite remember the, um, but anyway, if you, um, uh, I forget who it was who, who wrote this, wrote it even. But anyway, um, the, the DNA code of cancer, when it's taken down to uh, a binary code and then translated into music, is the death march. Wow. And I forget who it was who wrote it, but the, basically the composer at the time was dying of cancer. Wow. So it was almost sadly the song of his life, and that mm. was what was resonating with him. But if we take that the other way, we, we sing melodies, we sing, we sing songs that, that bring freedom, mm. that are, and that hopefully resonate with something inside of us which uh, when we believe that there is a, a God who lives inside us that makes us come alive. Um, and I think, you know what, I think we do that really well here. So this song that you're going to sing for us tonight, Chris, give us a, a little bit of the story behind this song that you wrote. Yeah, okay. Well, it's, it's, it's one of those moments that I've, I think I've alluded to, which I'm sure we've all been to, when you just go, I can't, in fact, you talked about it a bit Nicole but on a, a way bigger scale than perhaps I've, I've ever experienced which is just that I've had it I, I've, I can't do this anymore or even at the end of the day I've had enough and I just need you I just need you to love me God I need you to I need to know your peace and I, I need to know that you're, you're there for me um, and uh, in, this, in Psalm 23 in the Bible, uh, there is uh, someone called David who um, wrote about feeling so peaceful in the presence of your enemies because you know that your dad is the king of the universe, that you can, you can eat a meal, you can have a feast in front of them because you're that, you're that peaceful. Mm. Um, and so that's part of what the song's about. And I've I found when I've done this before that it, I've, well, that it went really well into another song, which is quite a well-known song. And what it feels like the other song, you'll recognize it when it comes. Um, I'm only going to do the end, by the way, just in case I'm, you think I'm about to do 
side one of a, of a progressive rock album. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, um, it basically feels like it's the response of, of, of Daddy, Daddy God, just saying, I'm here. This, this is a new start for you. All your dreams are on their way. I've got, you know, we're going to do this together from now on. Awesome. So, Chris, you're going to perform for us. Thank you. Okay, so the, my, my song's called Limitations. Cause you're here, so I'm not 
not faced Cause you know my limitations just want to say an enormous thank you to all our guests this evening. Thank you for being so open and honest and sharing your lives and your heart and your faith. It has been wonderful. Um, thank you all for coming. Chris is available afterwards to be selling his CD.